Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. joining us. We really appreciate it when you spend time with us. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy and know that we are touching hearts, minds, and souls out there in, in the vast space that uh, surrounds us, especially when we're in the dark. Uh, I want to welcome you. And for, but first, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing voice, his amazing intro, and the contribution he and his wife, Deb, have given to humanity through their voices and their websites and the videos that they have done. Um, they have made a huge contribution to preserving history and the cosmology of the First Nation people. And if you haven't experienced their voices and their stories, please check them out. They are amazing. So tonight is one of my favorite nights. I have a lot of those. Um, Mary Joyce comes back to visit Nightlight to share articles from her website, skyshipsovercashiers.com. And as I've always said and will continue to, it's an amazing website. She covers a plethora of material. She gives you tantalizing information about subjects that you just have to go back and research. And I have to say, among other things, that she is an amazing search engine on her website, so you can type in what you're interested in, and she can take you back through decades and decades of shows, maybe not two decades, but at least decades of shows and pull the articles that relate to what it is you're looking for. It's informative, it's educational, and it is, as I said before, very tantalizing. You'll get so caught up in it, you'll lose track of time, which I always do. In addition to editing her website, Mary has worked for the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and columnist, and the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor, and then a feature editor. Because of her website and the books she's written, she's been frequent guests on radio and TV shows, including Coast to Coast AM, which has an audience of oh, about 3 million listeners, not too shabby for a daytime show. The Travel Channel the, and, <clears throat> and Internet TV shows in Ireland and Australia. 
In addition to her writing, her career includes working for a major metropolitan air pollution control agency, a community college, eight successful political campaigns, the world's largest private printing company, and a Fortune 100 company, where she worked directly with many creative teams, including those at Marvel Comics, Golden Books, Mr. Rogers, Bernstein Bears, and Steven Spielberg's E.T. book staff. I encourage you to check out her website. It is, it is amazing. You'll be enthralled, and it will, it will trigger things in you so that you search out other areas to get further information on. It is um, an educational stepping stone, um, best I've ever seen. Well, that's why she's here, actually. So welcome to the show, Mary. Glad you made it. Hi. I'm always good to hear from you. Oh, listen, I... You know, I we were supposed to be on last week, and I had to, to shift you around. And I'm not sure I remember exactly what we were going to be talking about, but I'm prepared to go in any direction you want to go. Well, I'll tell you what's at the top of my mind, and uh, you were probably so sick you wouldn't even remember what I said to you. Um, anyhow, it's a, <laughs> I would like to get into the subject of Mars, uh, because I, oh, I've come to believe yeah. that there is... Um, human activity on Mars and has been for some time. And, you know, the government, um, NASA, uh, they're always talking about things that will happen in the future. Uh, they've been saying for quite some time that uh, uh, they will have humans on Mars by 2030. And based on what I've seen, um, you know, that's already happened. And that's true of so many things. We hear about them after the fact. Some of the um, early uh, man-made spaceships, for example, we thought were from outer space because they were dealing, the government was dealing with uh, very advanced craft, and uh, they just assumed people didn't know about it. Um, There's multiple reasons for that. One of them is because if there's UFOs flying over enemy territory, uh, they can't blame the United States on it, but uh, many of those vehicles since then have, you know, uh, proven to be real and proven to be of human making. Um, yeah. But I first found out about something called Humans to Mars Summit back in 2015, and we posted an article uh, about that, and it was simply titled Humans to Mars Summit 2016. I've since found out that uh, the summit actually started back in 2013. And what they were doing is they were bringing in very notable people. Uh, For example, on the article that we wrote about that particular year, they had Buzz Aldrin, who was, uh, of course, uh, the Apollo uh, 11 lunar uh, pilot. And they had uh, the chief scientist of NASA. Uh, They had uh, the deputy administrator for NASA, uh, professor of aeronautics uh, and, uh, with MIT. I mean, they had big names, and uh, they were always talking about things happening in the future. Well, uh, you know, tonight I'd like to share some of the things that we've discovered that make it quite clear that humans are already on Mars. Um, so I don't know if any of that interests you, but that's kind of what's foremost in my mind right now. Oh, yeah, no, that's what I got notes on. Oh, you do? Okay, well, good. We're on the oh, same page. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Um, and and actually, it's 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 an area that I have, you know, been fascinated with, with Corey Good and all of his, his material. 
which is fascinating. And then, of course, there's, there's Laura Eisenhower. And the most fascinating article that you have up there is the testimony of the boy from Mars, which I thought was oh, incredible. Oh, really? That's the, that's the one you want to zero in on, huh? Um, that well, is really uh, something. Let's see if I can uh, get my mind to get back there and collect some facts for you. Uh, he was, um, um, oh, let's see, let me let me get this straight here. He was a very, very young boy when he began to uh, describe uh, incredible things that a two-year-old simply shouldn't know. And he was telling his mother about galaxies and different star systems and planets going around, I mean planets and, and the moons that would circulate around them. Uh, just stuff that a, a two-year-old shouldn't know. And the mother uh-huh. knew nothing about this kind of stuff, and she you know, thought her son might be crazy. But then she started going to the library and doing her own research, and she found out these things he was telling her were absolutely true. And uh, you can you know, jump in there and tell about the, the part of the story that you find the most interesting. Well, I... I... I think the the part that really intrigued me was when he started to talk about um, the people and the atmosphere and how there had been wars and how they had gone underground and and how some of them had left the planet, of course. And it to me, it, it made great sense. And he said that they, they breathed a different kind of gas so that oxygen would not be something that they would be comfortable with breathing. Um and and it, it makes great sense when you when you look at all of his testimony about what they were like and 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 how they lived, and then then you come forward in time and 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 you you have all of the articles that you have on your website that that show the structures and the space stations and the entrance to the underground um, that are there that that you give the. Um, the sites on, on Google Space or whatever it is, or Google Mars, <laughs> but you can actually see these these structures that are there. Right. And what boggles what boggles my mind is that, and then you have people like Laura Eisenhower, who who was they tried to draft for the Mars program, but she didn't want to go, and you know, and her her great grandfather was Eisenhower. And he met with you with with extraterrestrials. I mean, there's so much material out there that says something's going on on this planet, and it's not a dead planet. It it appears that there's still activity there. Well, I know that one of the yes. experts that they had speak at uh, the summit in 2016 uh, was somebody who was a, a cave specialist. You know, there's some fancy name for uh-huh. it. We used to call it splunking, but. Um, uh, the reason that this person was participating is they believe very strongly that the um, the remnant of uh, Martians that still lived there uh, had to live underground and still do. And so they thought her knowledge uh, of uh, caves and how to survive in caves might be useful. Um, you mentioned a couple of the uh, whistleblowers, and maybe we should elaborate on that just a little bit. Um, one that I was especially impressed with was um, Arthur Newman, and he was a high-level physicist with the Lawrence Livermore National Lab in California, and he had top-secret Q clearance, which I don't know exactly what that means, except he had top-secret clearance of some kind. 
and he said that he commuted to Mars via a teleportation corridor that was disguised as a freight elevator. He said he worked um, at more than one base on Mars, including the largest facility, which was almost completely underground. Now, as you've um, alluded to, um, uh, we have found uh, two, um, uh, you know, we have images from Google Earth Mars that show things that look like uh, contemporary structures. One's near the um, uh, South Pole, and the other one is in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, But anyhow, I I don't want to jump all over the place. There's other uh, um, whistleblowers that are, you know, seem to come across as rather credible. There's a Gary McKinnon, and um, he hacked into the U.S. military computer system and found a reference or references to, and this is a quote, non-terrestrial officers uh, and spaceships. Um, uh-huh. So the ones that are more known are would be like uh, Corey Good and Randy yeah. Kramer, who's known as Captain K. And another one that's well known and one that I really respect a whole lot is um, um, he was um, the Army Commander Sergeant Major Robert O. Dean, just known as Bob Dean. Um, he had a cosmic top secret clearance. And so he knew a lot of different things. But um, uh, he said that uh, they'd been uh, sending men to Mars for years. And he passed away a couple years ago, so uh, that's going back some time. So there's a lot of uh, credible people. Um, uh, Laura Eisenhower is certainly an interesting person, though her story is so um, involved. And she mentions... Uh, ancient bloodlines, and she mentions the fact she was chosen because of the bloodline that went through Eisenhower, and uh, they get into, or she gets into, um, I don't know, uh, the Knights Templar and uh, Freemasons and all sorts of different things. And it it begins to read like sci-fi. So, you know, if somebody's trying to be convinced that um, uh-huh. things are really happening on Mars. I'm not sure that's the story to start with, even though it may be totally true. It sounds like a, a something for well, a, a fiction. <laughs> well, well, Corey Good's material is really fascinating, and I've I've um, read a lot about his material and how he was he was um, recruited. And he he did the teleportation thing between Earth and Mars, and and then took part in the um, the space program that that comes out of there. And he had I think they call it twenty years and out, and they they spent twenty years, and then they're regressed back to the point in time where they left, and so they spent twenty years out there. They're regressed back so that they come back here to live their lives as though nothing had happened, and for some reason. And, and supposedly they erase your memory, but but something happened and he remembered. And mm. his his material is fascinating. I know, and it's kind of mind-boggling. And so um, uh, I encourage everybody to explore and read uh, some of this whistleblower information. But at the same time, I want to really uh, present uh, convincing information that something really is going on there. And if people are interested in it, they can just jot down a note. There is uh, something in the 2015 uh, 2015 archives for 
Um, it's called Global Links, which you can find on the main page of our website, skyshipsovercashers.com. And the title of it is Satellite Photo of a Spacecraft Parked on Mars. And I have the um, coordinates, so anybody can copy and paste those into the uh, Google Earth uh, search bar. And if people aren't familiar with Google Earth, up at the top there's a little logo for the Earth, for the Moon, for Mars. There may be another one. And so you click on the one for Mars, and then you get Google Earth images, um, you know, that are NASA-based. Uh, and so we found this um, uh, uh, circular uh, UFO that is parked on the surface of Mars. And it is not a crater because there is a, a shadow going off to one side of it, which you would not get in a crater. And this thing is huge. The image that we have is from like 20, mi is 20 miles above Mars, and it is quite sizable. And then what we did was we got a, a Google Earth image of the Eiffel Tower from 20 miles up. And I've got them next to each other, uh, these, these images, these photos. And the, the uh, one on Mars, um, you know, takes up, it's about a third of the width of the photo. The one of the Eiffel Tower, the Eiffel Tower looks, you can barely see it. It looks like a little teeny tiny dot. And that gives people a perspective of how big some of these things really are. And, you know, we humans have to have things to compare things to. So that's the reason that I put those um, photos next to each other. Well, I think also the entrance to the underground that you found um, uh, yeah, I didn't. Huge. I'm not the one who really found them at first, but I had to go and find them for myself to make sure that it was for real. And the man who uh, got us uh, uh, thinking about that and doing our own search is uh, Stephen. I don't know how he pronounces his last name. It looks like Hanard. And uh, okay. he posted these entrances, and uh, they look like um, a, a lintel and post. Uh, shape that you would have for a door, but it's uh -huh. they're humongous. They're like, um, um, well, one is three hundred, three thousand six hundred ninety-six feet in one direction, and five hundred and twenty-eight feet in the other. That is huge. The largest airport or the largest airport hangar in the world, which is in Dubai, um, the biggest dimension is six hundred feet, and it's six hundred by three sixty compared to 3,696, you know, that is just something really huge. And then later when we began to do more research with this, we found that there are a number of these very square uh, lintel and post type entrances, but they're different um, proportions, like the width will be uh, in compared to the uh, uh, length or up and down uh, will vary. So it's not the same entrance that's being, um, you know, uh, caught on, on camera, so to speak. There are multiple ones like that, but they all have the same basic uh, square design. But these are huge, absolutely huge. Well, and you, you've got, and see what fascinates me is that you've clearly shown and indicated how NASA has um, kind of scrubbed any any sort of um, thing on the surface that they don't want people to know about. You have two two photographs there of 
one with obviously tracks and stuff, and then it's it's erased in the other in, in another picture. So, why would NASA be um, trying to deny the evidence that is clearly there? I don't know. I mean, we we most people today have become convinced that there are UFOs, both man-made and from either below the ground or out in uh, outer space. Why uh-huh. they want to keep denying that uh, publicly, I, I, you know, it, perhaps it would open up a can of worms that would be more than they could handle. Perhaps I know there they can they say that it's because uh, they don't want to scare people and that people wouldn't be able to deal with it. I think there's an increasing number of people who could deal with it. Um, who knows what what all the reasons are? But they certainly are hiding a lot of stuff from us. I mean, when you get right down to it, according to the to the boy um, who was interviewed, and that was fascinating, by the way. Um, yeah, and there's more to it than that. And you know, if you want to get into it, we certainly can. Oh yeah, I, I just you know he talks he talks about the, how the fact that I mean he was able to give a history of of what happened on Mars that there were wars and and was their atmosphere destroyed or was it I, I know they they had to go underground I I remember that part of it well I I pulled out that article just so because my brain doesn't carry all this information in it um <laughs> even though I write it, 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 it all of it won't stick but um he gave a lot of statements and they were all uh by the time he was 8 so these are not coming from a grown man. They're coming from, um, you know, a boy. And uh, yeah. uh, he uh, apparently could uh, remember past lives, and he was a pilot of, of what we would call a spaceship. And uh-huh. at that time there was obviously life on Mars, which is where he lived, but they could very easily make trips to the Earth, and it was back in the time of Lemuria. And that is like Atlantis, except it was a continent that um, supposedly sunk in the Pacific Ocean. And it seems to have predated Atlantis. They may have overlapped, but it seems to be an earlier civilization. And uh, he became friends with uh, 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 somebody who lived on Lemuria, and he saw his friend uh, get killed. And, uh, you know, even in his life as a boy in Russia, uh, he was very um, sad about that. He could remember it. And he talked about uh, uh, wars. And uh, uh, he said a major catastrophe took place on Earth. A gigantic continent was consumed by stormy waters. Then suddenly a massive rock fell on my friend who was there. I could not save him. We are destined to meet sometime in this lifetime. Um and because of all the fighting um, uh, on Mars and, uh, you know, the conflict with Earth, uh, he's become quite the little pacifist because he uh, said you have to, this is a quote, um, you have to be more sympathetic and warm-hearted. In case someone strikes you, hug your enemy, apologize your, yourself and kneel before him. In case someone hates you, love him with all your love and devotion and ask for forgiveness. These are the rules of love and humbleness. Um, And he, uh, you know, obviously suffered greatly from all the destruction and fighting in that lifetime and is clearly trying to bring a message. 
perhaps you can do math in your head uh, uh, real quickly, but uh, he began talking about life on Mars in 1998 when he was two years old. So he was born in 96, 96, you know, so it gives you an idea of how old he is now. But this is totally based on uh, the young boy, and he was known as the baby astronomer. And by the age of seven, um, his uncanny knowledge uh, caught the attention of scientists with the Russian Academy of Sciences. So that's certainly an article worth reading. It's called Testimony of a Boy from Mars. Uh, you could probably just type that into the search bar on the home page or find it in the 2016 archives of Global Links. He's 24 now. The easiest thing might be just type in Testimony of a Boy from Mars. No, he has to be more than that. He was two, and he was born in '96. Right. So, and all of this information. Yeah. Yeah, he's still a young man. Yeah. Thank you for doing the math for me. (laughs) I had to check it. It just didn't (laughs) seem right. But, uh, but, yeah. Come on. You know, when you're when you're born in the 1940s, you know, somehow. These dates are getting further and further. It means you're older, and I I have trouble accepting that. But yeah, he he. Well, you, you know, inside it feels a lot different than the, it looks on the outside. And you <laughs> but, know, I can you know, I can remember my parents saying that that they you know they felt so much younger than they looked. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's scary. But, no, that's good. The people that, who feel that way are the most interesting people. The ones who feel their age are usually boring. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm having so much fun learning so much that, you know, it's sort of like, don't ever tell me I'm out of school because then I'll probably just atrophy and crumble. But this, to have those kind of memories are amazing. And he did he did though also talk that the Martians speak of the fact that the Martians breathed a different atmosphere. Mhm. So it would seem to me that why you know that there's they're not going to attack the earth they can't even breathe the air. So um you know we're pretty safe there. And I I guess if if people actually knew there were Martians that they would be frightened but I don't know why. I mean I can't believe that that anybody would want to take over the planet. Although, although in in one of the articles it said that that Eisenhower did meet with two different um, extraterrestrials and he made a deal with the wrong one. I'm not sure what that meant, but um, the way I remember it is that he was first approached by uh, what I would call a benevolent race of ETs who offered to help them or help humans, uh, you know, with uh, advancements in, in, in good, positive ways, if we would only give up our nuclear weapons. Well, we were just coming out of uh, the World War II, and he was a general and still had the mindset, you got to be defensive, and he would not yeah. make that deal. He was then approached by, um, I'm not sure, the race that, of aliens. I would assume it would be greys or, or reptilians. And uh, mm-hmm. then he he signed a or made an agreement uh, which uh, may be responsible for some of the uh, missing people and, and uh, you know, some of the creepy sides of uh, the whole phenomenon. Yeah. Well, it, it just, to me, I, I know that in some of the material that I've read, 
um, it talks about the the fact that this secret space program has been has been in effect for decades, literally, and and that that Trump. I, I read something somewhere that that Trump had been um, read in on some of the stuff, which is why he created the space police. So the that, space you know, force was talked about before Trump. Oh yeah. So I mean, he's not the creator of that. Um, oh no, but but he he created it um, physically. You know, he created the the space police, knowing that it already existed, so that it could flow more easily into reality. Mm-hmm. I I I think I don't know. I you know with. With so many people out there who who I think who I feel are very credible, I think Corey Corey Good is a very credible man, and and yet the stories he tells are very hard to swallow, and yet mm-hmm. you know he's he's stood the test of time for sure, and and it's sort of like and whenever you what, hear these kind of stories from uh, whistleblowers, you go, what could they possibly benefit from? sharing this information it is uh-huh. they they all are greeted by immense criticism ridicule etc cetera, etc cetera. and so it you know what's the motivation it's not it doesn't seem to be money uh it doesn't seem to be you know uh, fame in any kind of way that has its own rewards um so if somebody's telling these stories and going through a whole lot of you know what to share them you have to at least consider that they might be telling the truth well, um, I saw a UFO when I was in college, and it wasn't until, oh, goodness, it wasn't until almost 40, 45 years later that I met somebody who could validate it. And <clears throat> and up to that point in time, it it's even though you know people are going to look at you like they think you're crazy, you kind of have to share it. It's It's the weirdest thing. And and now, of course, you know, seeing what I saw is it's not a big deal at all. It was, you know, Heineck came and said it was swamp gas, and then had to back up on his story. But but it, it's sort of like when you have a truth like that in you, you have to. I mean, you don't you don't stand on the corner and hand out leaflets. But when somebody asks you, you tell the truth. And even though they may look at you like you're nuts. Um, you you just you know that you saw what you saw, mm-hmm. and experienced what you experienced, and and I think that now what I saw was nothing like what Corey Good and some of these other people ex- experienced, and the people that went through MK Ultra and and the Montauk stuff. I mean, you know, they 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 really have stories to tell, but it's it's sort of like society. I think is becoming. Oh gosh, more mature in that they will listen to these stories and not condemn whoever's speaking. They may not want them to teach their children anything, but you know, it, it's you know they they aren't they aren't you know you're crazy, get away from me, you're a weirdo anymore. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. it does it does make one feel a little bit better. Um, I know that I I used to think that all of these UFOs we saw in the air were from other planets and now i am more of a of a mind to say 
you don't know if they're made in the USA or in Russia or in Germany or in Japan or in China. And some of them may be extraterrestrial or interdimensional. But I think we're dealing with three things. I think we have a civilization that beneath the ground, especially down in beneath Antarctica, and we, you and I have talked about Antarctica before, um, oh, yeah. and we have um, many civilizations out beyond our immediate galaxy, and uh, we have uh, not only our own government but other advanced governments that uh, would have advanced uh, flying machines. So it's getting more difficult to, to discern which is which. Yeah, and and it's sort of like why why not do a full disclosure? Why not? I mean, I don't think there would be riots. I think there would be people signing up all over the place to to be you know included in a lot of this stuff. It, it wasn't Branson. Who is it that that is trying to um, establish a colony on Mars? And I don't know why they're hopping over the moon, but but they seem driven to get to Mars and so what is it that's driving them to go to Mars because if you look at the planet it looks I mean you know there's well we know that there is something going on beneath the surface but if you look at the surface um, it doesn't look at all inviting no it doesn't it's kind of yes it doesn't it looks like perpetual uh, southwest without any of the um attributes that we find in the southwest and and you know they are talking about a mars colony before they're talking about a moon colony and i believe there's already a moon colony to be honest with you it's on the dark side but it's there uh i'm and not sure that it's human um my understanding from the pieces that i've put together is you know we didn't go back to the moon for an awful long time and we still seem to be somewhat skittish of it and the astronauts had seen um, um, structures and stuff on the back side of the moon I think that is of ET origin and not human origin well at one point didn't one of the astronauts say they were out they were doing um, they were outside the, the module and they looked around and there were huge ships ringing the the surface that's, that were that's much correct. bigger than they were. That's correct. And 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 it's kind of like I do believe they were warned off. Yes, I do too. I think we were told to, you know, take our little butts and go home. <laughs> so I mean, because there was been, you know, we we got to the moon and then it just stopped, and I don't know how long it was stopped, but uh, um, I, we really don't have anything significant going on there now. But didn't the didn't the modules orbit the moon? Didn't they see the dark side of the moon? My understanding they, is that they did, and there are pictures supposedly from the dark side of the moon um, that would indicate that there's you know some kind of intelligent life functioning down there. That, that there are structures. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, if we were uh, told to stay away, then I think it's a good idea. Um, I don't feel like uh, getting in front of them and antagonizing them, quite honestly. But uh, <clears throat> but apparently they're doing they're doing this type of thing on Mars. And another article that I've I've put up at, at back again in 2016 
um, the title is called Artist Concept May Exist on Mars. And there's this man named Brian Verstig, and he is a conceptual uh, architectural engineer and artist, and he specializes in um, like deep space living structures. And he's been, uh, his works have been uh, done for the deep space industries, for uh, the Mars Foundation, the Inner Orbital Systems, uh, National Geographic, New Scientists, Mars Exploration. And we've got a, a picture of him and also one of his uh, designs, which is like an artistic rendering. And right next to it we have one of the, it's it's slightly out of focus, but one of the structures that uh, we have found on Mars. And it's kind of got the basic kind of layout to it. Um so that would help support the idea that we, um, you know, have designed these things with the full intention of developing on them on Mars, and now we have indications that they're already there. Wow. Well, do you remember 2001, A Space Odyssey? I do. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the messages that came out of that was that we could explore the universe, but we were supposed to stay away from Europa. Hmm, I did not. Your memory's better than I am, or you've cheated and listened to it again or watched it again. I do not remember nope. that part. It's it's they were they were uh, it was a message that that they were given. You know, you can you know explore the universe, explore the planets, but stay away from Europa. And um, I was just wondering if anything had been done, or, or if there's been any information out there about Europa, because I know they found water there they found they found water on Europa uh, one of the uh, again I I would have to go refresh my memory but we did a story a bunch of years ago of one of the moons of one of the planets it, it may be Jupiter I don't know but it yeah. looks like something from one of the space movies you have this um, you know obviously a round ball figure but then there's this um, perfect circle uh, on part of it, and it looks like one of the things that have been uh, images that have been used in our um, sci-fi space movies. Um, it, I don't know if it's Europa or not, but anyhow, it makes me wonder. Yeah, I just I I have for some reason that has stayed with me. That and the music, which you know I was intrigued oh, yeah. by. But but. Um, it was something about Europa, and my gosh, that has to have been almost 50 years ago. It's a long time ago. I mean, I would, yeah. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but I just know it's way, way, way back in my memories. Yeah, it um, it, it 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 has stayed with me, and I, I keep waiting to see if, if something crops up about Europa. But So if our NASA is erasing traces. Does our NASA, I know you don't know, but take a guess, do they know what actually is there, or are they just afraid to let anything out that there might be there? Well, one of my theories, and this, uh, I, I'll have to go with our uh, what we know about Antarctica. Uh, we have posted uh, entrances into Antarctica. I believe there's a total of three of them now that we have shown. And, yeah. Uh, on on one case, um, it looked like later on, after we'd found this, 
that uh, somebody had like spilled India ink on the images and you couldn't find them anymore. And I suspect that they might have done that because there may still be activity at that entrance and they don't want attention drawn to that. I mean, that's one of the ideas that I've had. Well, with Antarctica, some of the planes were told not to go over certain areas. Right, and, and it's the part where there seems to be a, a hole going into the interior. Wow. I I just, you know, I am so sure that there is something there um, that, that it, it boggles the mind. Actually, I have somebody um, that's going to be, I'm going to interview somewhere down the line. Um, it has... And his book has to do with the Hollow Earth Revisited. It's, uh, his, that his name that is should be Danny, very interesting. Danny Weiss, Danny Weiss, I think is his name. Yeah, that should be a good, good show. <laughs> They're all good. Oh, yeah, wait, I, I let think me I'm, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say um, I don't do this very often because it's very time consuming, and usually you don't you know, come up with anything. But one day I was using Google uh, Earth Mars and just kind of scanning the surface, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'll I'll stumble across something. Usually you don't. But I saw something that literally looked like, um, I don't know, the image is either like a rash on Mars or like somebody spilled a lot of little coffee grinds and so I zeroed in on it, and when I did, instead of looking like old stumps from a forest, which is what I called it at first, when I got in close, it looked like it had a metal. They all had metallic uh, features to them. I still oh, don't know yeah. what it is, but that if somebody's like interested, hands. yeah, yeah, it, it's got yeah, kind of like hands really. Um, but that's um, in the 2016 archives, and I provide the. Um, uh, coordinates again, so somebody else can go and find it. Um, but that's a slow yeah. process to find stuff that way. Oh. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I saw those pictures, and it does look like tubes or tubes. You know, they yeah. Were... When you zero in, it does. It looks like um, three-dimensional, uh, almost like can- um, barrels, almost. So. Yeah. Another I, it, thing. It's, it's, it. it you know, there's all this out there. Why are people not paying more attention to it? It just it it blows my mind that you know people look at it and say, yeah, right, and they move on. And I mean, especially with your website, the the picture. I mean, you give them the coordinates to go and look at stuff themselves. And there's there's two reasons that I do that. One, I think people need to see things for themselves whenever possible. And two, we live mm-hmm. in a in a world of people. Uh, some people who really like to fool other people and like to do Photoshop and, um, you know, you you have to be careful. And uh, I've uh, on a few occasions gotten stung by some of the uh, the, the uh, hoaxers. So you have to be really careful. Well, but that's yeah, one way you can do it. Great. If you can go and find it for yourself and use the coordinates, and my God, it's there, that, that helps, uh, you know, give credibility. Another thing that... Uh, can be found that way. Um, it, it, the title I've got is "It Looks Like Train Tracks on Mars," and literally, there's this track that goes horizontally. I mean, uh, at a 
at an angle across the photo. And uh, you can see something on this track, which looks like maybe a little cart, and it goes into like a, um, I'll say like a little mountain group, and then it comes out the other side and, and ends up in another cluster that looks like a crater or a mountain, and then it ends there. Um, but again, there's the coordinates there for people to try it for themselves. I think uh, the easiest thing for people to do is to type Mars into uh, the search bar on the home page, and hopefully maybe some a whole bunch of those things will come up. If not, go to uh, Google, I mean, go to our global link section, and that's where all of these Mars things can be found. Well, I, I found all of those just in the search engine on your website. That's good. That's so, what I'm. Yeah, it's no, somewhat I, I, limited. Be, it's somewhat limited because our search bar is Google related, but um, you can get to most of our things that way. Yeah, it's it's an amazing you know to to sit there and and keep. I it, to be honest with you, I didn't even see the search engine until a couple of days ago, and I thought, well, this makes it all very much simpler. <laughs> and, it makes it a lot easier, right? So. Well, yeah, and and actually, by by just going through the archives, it's, I keep I kept getting distracted by other things that I found fascinating as well, and you know, it it kind of is it's amazing, especially with the Mars stuff. I think people should really take some time and check that out because obviously there's something going on there. Even I think Branson is 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 getting ready to send people up into space and, and Mars is something that he was aiming at as well. So, and again, avoiding the moon, which to me doesn't make sense, but, but Mars has had lights that, that, you know, have, have been shown on it that, that there's no explanation for. I mean, there's so much going on there. It's, it's worth spending time, checking it out every couple of days and seeing if you can find something that, that, you know, you hadn't seen before. It's a big planet, but, you know, it, it, to me, it feels like there is something really going on there, and it would explain why the uh, secret space program was sending people there. It, 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 can ex- it, it explains a tremendous amount, and... I, I think it's very exciting because it takes what had once been science fiction and makes it reality. And that, you know, everybody wanted to live during the time of Star Trek, and now all of us have doors that open when we walk there and close, and all of us. Have <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, we are living in science fiction times and don't even realize it. That's and, you're and we're absolutely right. To it. Yeah, back in the fifties, I I don't know when the the magic doors began to open into stores. Do you? Can you? I don't know how far back you no. have to go for that. <laughs> but they didn't always exist, that's for sure. No. And the flip phones and the tricorders, they scan people now. I mean, there's so much that, that was that in Star Trek especially that was that was, you know, so futuristic it could never happen. And we're living it. It's happening. Right. Another example of this is um, think how much you can do with a phone, how much uh, memory, how many things you can search and find. That, I mean, it used to take a whole room full of computer things to get the information we can get in a little tiny 
handheld phone oh, now. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, uh, one of my first early jobs in life was working um, at a newspaper, and the, at that time they had a room, I mean a really big room, full of giant computers, and they had to keep the air conditioning at a certain temperature just so these computers would, you know, function correctly. And, uh-huh. you know, now everybody who works in a newspaper can do it off a laptop. Yeah. And, and you know, I have to admit, um, I've gotten so used to working with a keyboard and the computer that, that I don't do things in, in longhand as much as I used to do. And yet, uh, I always print out a copy because I don't trust the computer. <laughs> when I wrote my first book a long, long time ago, um, I had a, a little simple electric typewriter. And at that time, I had just decided I was not going to be one of these people who always talked about doing a book, and it was just half done in their bottom drawer. So I just um, took some some time just to work on my first book. And I lived on the beach in a simple little place. And so in the morning when my brain is freshest, um, I would be there. And with an old typewriter like that, you know, you can't just cut and paste and do stuff like you can now. And so if I had a good paragraph, I would cut it off and save it in a pile, wad up the other, throw it away, save that, type some more, and then I would piece it together physically for my rough draft. And wow. you know, think how hard that, <laughs> how difficult that seems compared to what we can do now. Just amazing. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned your books, and I do want to want to. I, my favorite of all the books that you've written, and you've written four now, three, four. I have I have four that are available uh, through Amazon at this time. Uh, I did some earlier books that are no longer in print. Well, my favorite is Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. That's the and most recent everybody, one. Everybody I give it to ends up crying mm. because because you make them you you give us a better understanding of the fact that they aren't really violent and they aren't really you know they don't want to eat your heads and you know there is there is a sense of humanity to them. Uh, the better so that, half of humanity. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, absolutely, and and their their especially their way of gifting. You know, they you give them a gift and they keep it for a while and they give it back. I mean, it's just you you have touched on so many precious aspects of them that you make them much more endearing. You know, you don't want to go out and make one a best friend right right away, but you're not scared of them. And and what what they've done today with with the news and with all of these these reality shows where they're going to go out and hunt and catch a bigfoot and cut its head off so they can see what, if it has a brain or whatever. I mean, those are horrible. Right. And and so, the reason I wrote there's multiple reasons why I wrote the book, but one of the reasons was because I was sick and tired of hearing about uh, big footprints howling and of uh, the bigfoot and them taking big branches of trees and whacking them against trees, uh, you know, to mm-hmm. communicate. And I was tired of the stories of, you know, people hunting them and all that, you know, distorted type stuff. I had done research over a number of years and had found so many 
firsthand eyewitnesses to um, the very human, I'm using human in the best sense, to the very human side of Bigfoot. They have families. They've made friends with certain humans. They're very selective about who they're going to be friends with, but uh, nevertheless, they do. And um, uh, one of the things that might surprise a lot of people is that they um, have a very interesting genetic background, and this has been well studied now. And the the mother side of the Bigfoot is human. The father side is some unknown species they've been unable to identify. Wow. So they got DNA and they have the mitochondrial and... and In order to figure out, they have to get the the mitochondrial DNA or the nuclear DNA in order to get Mm -hmm. the paternal uh, information. So a lot of times you will have like a a hair sample, which I found out the hard way. Um, I sent one off to um, a lab to have it analyzed and paid to have it done, and the the nuclear DNA wasn't there, so all they could say was that it was human. Without that nuclear DNA, you do not find the uniqueness of the Bigfoot. Wow. And I so have... like with the hair, with the hair you have to get the, the follicle uh, in order to get the nuclear DNA. Ah. Wow. Well, I have often believed and postulated that they're interdimensional. And, and that's harder to prove. That is yeah, really oh, yeah. harder to prove. And I hear uh, stories about that, but how can I present that in a way that's convincing or real? But, yes, you keep hearing that, and you have to you know, consider that that might very well be true. Well, I think, to me, that's one of the reasons why we've never really, I, and I hope we never, I hope that they, they never catch one. Right, I agree because with you. The worst thing in the world they could do would be if they caught one, they would put it in a cage, and that would be just so wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, one of the defenses uh, that the Bigfoot have is that they have never lost what we humans have lost. They have never lost their telepathic ability. They can pick up on human beings at a distance. They they sense uh, you know, what we're about if we can be trusted. And with that ability alone, they can avoid us. Well, I'm glad of that because um, I think they're precious. And, and you know, they may be here when humans destroy themselves. You know, it's kind of not like the cockroach, but it, it would seem to me that that they will survive no matter what. And we as humans probably not if, might, if we might not hit. yeah i i mean well, you know and they may well have been around um prior to the last ice age they may well have been around you know they may have been around for longer than 10 12,000 years well one so of the things that, that puzzles be... me is that we they have human dna mm-hmm. so does that mean that they couldn't have existed until humans existed or is there some big um, genetic lab up in a somewhere else that could uh, have put that to get you know put that kind of DNA material together you know uh, long before that because some of the reports are that the the Bigfoot were here before us humans well 
how do you jive that with the fact that they have human DNA in them? It's got to be, I don't know. It means they either weren't here for a long time before we were, or there's been genetic manipulation at a level that we are not aware of. Yeah, or just over time, some evolved into a different direction than others, and, you know, you, we lost that gene. Mm, um, I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't it, be, I'd, I'd, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it screw with everybody if it turns out we evolved from the Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, that would screw people's minds. There's no doubt about it. I, they would definitely have to rewrite books. But I, you know, we've I made just, a couple. We've made a couple of T-shirts, uh, and it has the face that I have on the book, you know, uh, for uh-huh. the Bigfoot book. But uh, yeah. underneath it, it says, "Oh, I'm going to forget what it said." Uh, Bigfoot, uh, mankind's cousin, or something along those lines. You know, you never know, and it wouldn't be bad, you know, no? because Mm-mm. frankly. They are gentle and and non-invasive and and very family-oriented. So, um, and they work real hard I, to avoid us. <laughs> Which means they're smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh crap! Our time is up. Um, Mary, thanks so much. Um, and that bigfoot book, me- people can get it through Amazon, and uh, if yeah. you go to the website. And open up editors' corners. Uh, you can you can find a little summary of each of the four books that I have, and again, they're all and available that, on yeah. Amazon. And they're all worth getting and reading because they are. She she makes the reading so easy and so delightful, and has lots of pictures, which is even better. And um, all of them are are phenomenal. I I the little people one, the Jesus one, the Little people to Jesus. The other one's uh, the underground bases. And the underground bases. Thank you. Um, no, they're all phenomenal reads. And, and they're all they're... different. Oh, yeah. That format's kind of but the same. It... I always use pictures and write kind of concisely, but the topics are all totally different. None of these are 500-page books. They're great oh, no, books. No, can... most people don't have time for that. No, that's true. <laughs> But but I highly recommend them all. They I have them all, and I I just adore them. I love the Bigfoot one best, but the other ones are cool too. So I thank, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you so much. Oh, they're they're great, and, and please check out um, Skyships Over Cashiers. It is a phenomenal website. It, it will occupy you for days, weeks, months, years. There's so much material there. And it will stir your your curiosity into directions that you never imagined. And um, it's an amazing website. And, and Mary, thank you so much for being here again. And I look so forward to comparing notes with you again next month sometime. All righty. You, I wish you and all your listeners a real nice evening. Thanks a lot. Good night now, everybody. And. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again around here uh, when we do Skyships Over Cashiers again, but also next Monday and Tuesday. Mark and I will be back each with a show to further titillate you. Good night now. <laughs>